Welcome to another edition of the Dr. Selwyn Howard Show, where we provide information to our audience with the most current knowledge in medicine, allowing them to make the most informed decisions that will affect their physical health and well-being. We aim to bring on the top doctors in the country to share information with us. Joining us today is Dr. Sandra Elizabeth Ford, a board-certified pediatrician who is the public health director of DeKalb County, Georgia, which for those who are not familiar with the Atlanta metropolitan area, encompasses Atlanta, Decatur, Stone Mountain, Lithonia, and Dunwoody, to name others. Dr. Ford is a medical school classmate of mine and has been listed as one of the top 25 women of Atlanta and one of the most influential doctors in the area. Welcome to the show, Dr. Ford. Well, good. It is very good catching up with you, and uh, we're going to get to it in a minute. Just tell the the audience you are over uh, public health in DeKalb County, and I think I also saw where you were over public health in Fulton County as well. Tell us a little bit about what that encompasses and, and give us a little description of what your job entails. So the director of public health is in charge of um, anything related to the health and safety of um, the county. And so it is a district-wide position responsible for everything from uh, restaurant and hotel inspections to clean indoor air. Um, we inspect school cafeterias. We have multiple public health clinics throughout the county. Um, obviously, right now we're in charge of the COVID response, but we are responsible for all infectious disease outbreaks. And yes, from end of April of 2019 to May of 2020, I was um, running actually both counties, which was a little, <laughs> a little stressful uh, because those are the two largest counties in the state. And, um, you know, I think it was somewhat manageable until COVID hit, and then it just got to be a little bit too much. Um, but I was in Fulton when the first two cases of COVID hit the state, so that was um, very uh, alarming to us and uh, super, super stressful. Yes, I would imagine as, as much. <laughs> and uh, with, with that title, I'm giving you the title calling you the Surgeon General of the Atlanta Metropolitan Area. Okay. I think that's. I don't know. I'm not sure if the real surgeon general will will uh, co-sign that, but yeah. I'll receive it. Yeah, just 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 uh, just local, just the local municipalities. But our our show is is uh, uh, national as well as international, so uh, we're we're going to hit on a few things that that affect everyone. Uh, let's 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 get on to what I really brought you on for, and that's the the, the COVID vaccine. This is Sunday, uh, December thirteenth, and as we're speaking. Uh, FedEx and UPS are delivering those medications to various parts of the country. Uh, give us a little bit about uh, how distribution will be in the Atlanta area, if you can. Well, what we know so far um, is limited, but the information we got on Friday is that the initial distribution to Georgia will be somewhat small because um, you know, they're shipping us out in small quantities at this point. Uh, we are, as districts, unclear as of today as to how much each one of us will re be receiving. But what we are clear on is that the um, 
initial priority, the distribution are the healthcare workers and those that are in long-term care facilities. And then once we have additional vaccines, we'll be able to expand those categories um, as, as available. Okay, very good. My uh, audience, uh, there is a lot of misinformation that goes on in 2020, and some people are just plain fearful of taking a vaccine. Tell us why it's so important that we take this vaccine. Sure, and you know, there's a lot of reasons for that. I have heard um, concerns about the speed with which this vaccine or these sets of vaccines were developed. Uh, the reason for that speed was that was based literally on the urgency um, to create it. Uh, this that this pandemic has impacted the world, not only from a health perspective, but from a, an economic perspective. And you know, once you start talking about economy, everything sort of freezes. And so they, it was basically like all hands on deck to try to come up with this vaccine. And so I counter people that it wasn't rushed in that there were corners cut. The difference is that usually when you develop a vaccine, clinical trials take place in maybe one or two sites. And for these vaccines, clinical sites, uh, clinical um, uh, testing took place in multiple sites concurrently. So that way they could get their trials done in a large number of people all at the same time, which would then move forward the um, emergency use authorization much faster than would normally be available. So that's the only difference is that it was so much more widespread, the trial component of this. Um, so that's one thing. The other piece um, is, of course, this whole concept of, you know, being experimented on. You know, I think for populations of color, we're, we're on two sides of this. Um, part of the reason that some of the current medications have been discovered not to be as effective in people of color is because we don't participate in clinical trials. And so that, uh, it, medical treatments may have different impacts on us, but we were not aware of that because we don't participate in clinical trials. And so I was happy to see, you know, more people of color and more women participating in these clinical trials so that we have a, a honest sense of how this is going to impact our populations. Um, so that that fear of, you know, are we being quote-unquote experimented on should be much more um, resolved by now. You shouldn't have to worry about that. Also, to be perfectly honest, a lot of people of color were instrumental in developing this vaccine. Um, that Pfizer vaccine was um, one of the lead scientists is uh, Dr. Casey Corbett, who's an African-American woman, and you'll see that name probably all over the place in the next few months, and she was critical in the development of this vaccine. And so um, it makes a difference, I think, you know, when people of color are in the creation of things because we are more mindful of the impacts on our own community. Um, the other thing is that just on a scientific level, the vaccine is made with messenger RNA, yes. uh, which is not live. It is not a live virus. And so 
Um, you know, this is not like one of those vaccines where you can get the vaccine and then you will get the virus. I mean, and we say this every year about flu, too, <laughs> and nobody believes us, but uh, it's not a live virus. And so, you know, the risks of you getting anything from the actual vaccine are non-existent. Right. And, and at that point you're making about it being a not a live virus is something that we have to keep. Uh, pushing to the community because yeah. a lot of people, you know, even when influenza, oh, I, I got the vaccine and then I caught the flu two days later. And right. That, that's that not, drives me crazy. Right, that's not a live virus either. The efficacy right. of this one and effectiveness, they're saying 90 to 95%, which is really an extraordinary numbers because, you know, as you know, Sandy, the the uh, influenza virus, what's the effectiveness of that? Are we talking 50%, 60% at best? Um, right. Yeah. If you can get 60, you got a good match, you right. know? That is, and so, yeah. you know, to have something that's 93 to 95% effective is pretty extraordinary. Right. And also speaks to how many hands, you know, contributed to testing and checking everything, you know? Yes. And uh, like I said, I think it's so important that I have you on this show because I want to get my audience to buy into it. I, I'm really, I am a healthcare worker, so I am in the first batch of people who will be getting the vaccine. And I will be getting it very soon because I think it's important to the recovery of our society. And like you say, from a, a health standpoint, as well as an economic standpoint, once this virus is under control, then we can maybe go back to close to what we were before. It will still be a little time before that happens. But I think people don't realize that you have to have something to kickstart you. We uh, fail to do those simple things like wearing masks and social distancing. Some of us did, but a lot of people did not. And uh, we dropped the ball on that. Uh, you can look at statistics comparing us to Canada, uh, some of the uh, Asian countries as well, where they, their their numbers are far, far less than us. But you know, this this I think the vaccine myself is a game changer if it's used. And I think people, uh, especially at certain ages, I think the 45 plus, 50 year plus, really uh, need to take it to avoid some of this post COVID syndrome that we hear about too. Um, yeah, I, I feel like if the right population get the vaccine, then I think it will dramatically slow down the spread of the virus and get us back to normal. Okay, well, very good. So um, with that, what is your role with local schools? I know, do you play a part in telling schools when uh, they should have uh, uh, virtual versus uh, uh, online or, or in, in-house uh, schools? Do you play a role in that at all? Happily, my role, you know, that I feel so... My heart aches for the school system right now because these decisions, there's no winning. Um, and so I'm happy that the role of the district health director, so the health director for the county is basically the chief health strategist. We help you strategize. Okay. And so what we do is provide them with good data because there's so many other factors that have to be considered regarding whether or not school should or should not open. I'm only, I'm in my lane and my lane is to give you the data. Here's where we are in terms of um, infection rates. Here's where we are in terms of positivity. Here's where we are in terms of community spread. And that is up to you and the leadership within the school system, including the school board, you know, to make an actual decision. And then whatever decisions you 
make, then we we try to support you. And so um, I will work. The CAD has been um, virtual this entire time um, because there were concerns based on our levels of positivity in the county. And so I supported that. Um, because I didn't think it was a safe thing, but we can't stay home forever. And uh, mental health and academic issues related to folks um, not being able to attend school, related to parents not being able to work because they have to be home with their children, you know, it's starting to take um, a, a much more negative toll on the community. And so at some point we have to figure out whether or not the benefits um, outweigh the risks. And so um, now we're trying to figure out safe ways. If there is a choice to resume in-school learning, what does that look like? How can I help you do this in the safest manner possible? So that's really my role. I don't make the decisions. I just try to help you with whatever decision you make um, to try to make it as much of a win-win for both sides as possible. Okay. Since we're talking about schools, uh, Dr. Ford, let's go back into your background. You are native, uh, a native Californian and grew up in the uh, city of Los Angeles. Is that correct? Well, I actually was born in New York, oh. but I grew up in Cali. I definitely consider myself a Cali girl. Um, I spent most of my, you know, formative years there, and I definitely have much more of a Cali temperament, I think, than a New York temperament. So... I claim I claim Cali at home. Okay, well, for somebody who's known you for a little while, I would tend to agree with the Los Angeles, California <laughs> outlook for you. I almost I almost played it never rains in Southern California as your thing, <laughs> but I decided not to. Um, <laughs> tell me a little bit about why did you choose? Because I I do have parents who have their kids listening to the show as well. What gave you your 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 uh, impetus to go into medicine? Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Okay, Dr. Howard. So these are probably some secrets you don't even know about. So growing up in New York, I, I left New York when we were maybe like, I was about seven, okay. but I actually wanted to be a Rockette. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Radio City Music Hall Rockette. Now, you know me, um, I'm five foot two on a good day. So uh, median height for Rockettes is five foot seven. So um, always um, in the back of my mind, happily, my parents never were um, dream killers. And so they were like, well, um, okay, you know, you can work toward that, but I think you need a backup career. And so um, as early as age two, when people would ask me what I wanted to be when I grew up, I was like, well, I'm going to be a doctor or a dancer. So... Um, you know, um, I went to Stanford undergrad, which is not a big dance school, and so um, <laughs> decided to stick with the medical side. But as Sally knows, I mean, I danced through med school, too, and, you know, continued to dance even after that. But it became more of a side thing, and uh, the medical part became my career. Right. So the medical career was your backup plan. Yeah, it's starting to be. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, you have a, a wide array. You are a member of Delta Sigma Theta. And, um, yes, sir. Uh, how, how did all of that help you as far as your uh, venturing out into being a uh, director of uh, DeKalb County? And also, what kind of connections have you gained from that experience and also your experience at Howard as well? Sure. Well, you know, and, and I think that 
going to Stanford undergrad and Howard for medical school was probably the, the, the very different ends of the spectrum in terms of academic and social experiences. When you are a person of color at a predominantly white university, you try to find your, your group. And um, I had this conversation with my son a few years ago when we were looking at colleges because when you are in particularly large um, universities, you, you're either going to be an athlete, most likely, or, uh, you know, a fraternity sorority person, you know, or you're going to be the person that's just, you know, um, st sticks to the books 24-7. And so, you know, there's not a lot of variation from those. Um, I immediately, even in orientation, just gravitated towards the Deltas. I was, I loved what they were about. I loved their focus um, on a campus that uh, was already a campus full of high achievers. I felt like they were really um, doing a lot in terms of community service and academic excellence. Um, uh, the woman who pledged me ended up going to Harvard Medical School, so that was a kind of incentive. And, um, you know, I think that it gave me the confidence. The other piece about Stanford and Delta is you are sort of expected when you leave a place like that to do something extraordinary, you know, otherwise you've wasted your opportunity. And so um, the combination of Stanford and Delta is like, okay, well, now you've got this degree and you are, you know, in the largest African-American sorority. What, what are you, you going to do with that? So, you know, I think that it was sort of an expectation that you just need to do something that is, first of all, leaves your mark in the community, but also um, distinguishes you. Yes. And I think you rounded it off by uh, Howard University as well. My, my uh, background is a little different. I went to Morehouse undergrad and Howard. Um, and uh, then I went to the Navy and I went to George Washington. So all of those were just like you, Howard, and Stanford are national schools. Uh, George Washington, too, and, and Howard is international. Stanford is international. So I think those experiences, you were able to expose yourself to quite a different community, uh, which uh, I would think would help you as far as what you're doing now as well. So. Well, I am loving the recognition that Howard is getting right now with um, Kamala Harris, with Charles Bozeman, you know, because those of us who were there back in the day, we always knew Howard was all that. Yeah. You know, and so I'm very happy that they are now getting all the financial support, you know, all of the accolades. I mean, it's just like, okay, we told you all that this, this, this campus was extraordinary. And so I'm just happy that everyone else has finally figured it out. Yes. And uh, finally, before we let you go, because I know you're busy late and I really appreciate you taking the time to help me out. After this, this, this uh, pandemic is over, where do you foresee oh. efforts in the public health community uh, there's so many different things. What, what focus do you have as far as uh, drives to to confront the various uh, things that 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 are hurting our community from a health uh, vantage point? That that's really a great question because part, so what I have been focused on is what I call equitable reentry. Because I think from my perspective, particularly going to Howard and being, you know, a, a physician of color and running a public health um, agency in two of the largest, you know, urban centers in Georgia, was that how many people were surprised at the um, inequities in COVID outcomes. 
you know, we who work in that field all the time know about health disparities. That's probably, you know, what I eat, sleep, and drink. And so I was a little appalled by some of the shock you know, that people were expressing in terms of, wow, you know, black folks are dying two and three times more, more rap frequently with this COVID. And, and we die two and three more times more frequently with most things. And so what we're looking to do now that this, you know, increased awareness of the inequities is out and about in what I call the general community is trying to figure out how we avoid this the next time. You know, how do we make sure that um, there is no imbalance in outcomes between the haves and the have-nots. Part of the issue with COVID um, for the first few months was that even to receive a test for COVID, you had to have a referral from a physician. So therefore, if you don't have a doc, if you don't have insurance, you are already out of line. You weren't even in the line. And then once you were even in the line, if you had a doc, then you basically had to convince them that you needed a test. And I can tell you personal anecdotes from friends who were turned away saying, oh, well, you know, just try to stay home and, um, you know, fight it out and let's see how it goes. And then, you know, a few days later, they're on the ventilator. And so I think that we need to make sure that our medical community not only acknowledges but addresses um, institutional bias, and 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 that's not you know I think when black folks say that sometimes people roll their eyes in their head. That's a fact. Yeah. You know the Harvard studies have shown that. You know look at our maternal mortality rate. So the, the maternal mortality rate in Georgia for black women is number one in the nation. Um, that's not an accident, and so we can't just we can't let this opportunity for awareness and change go by or, or we've wasted our time suffering for the last eight or nine months if we don't try to change the structure of the system. Yes, I would agree so with that's, you. you know, yeah. I would agree with you totally, and I appreciate all that you do. Uh, on that note, uh, Dr. Sandra Elizabeth Ford, we appreciate your time. We thank you for being on the front lines of health care, especially public health in the Atlanta uh, DeKalb County area, and we wish you much success in your future, and we would love to have you back once we get all this under control and you get a chance to, <laughs> to breathe a little bit. So thank you again. Take a breath. Yes. Yeah. Take a breath and keep on doing what you're doing there, Dr. Ford. Thank you. You stay safe, you and yours, and your um, listening audience as well, and happy holidays to everyone. All right. You have Wear a mask. Holidays. Right, <laughs> keep that mask on. Wear a mask and get your vaccine. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. All right. And <laughs> that will do it for another episode of the Dr. Selwyn Howard Show. We wish you all happy holidays, and we will see you all in 2021. Thank you very much.